You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Corbin is in for Aaron. This show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Cooley's going to be on the show today. He will join us uh, join us shortly. Caps won the division last night. Nats had their most impressive day of the first week of this season. And there is Redskins news, which we will start with. And it began last night. Look, there's been buzz about Josh Rosen here on and off over the last couple of months. But Benjamin Albright, who is um, a uh, reporter out in Denver, an NFL reporter uh, out in Denver, uh, tweeted out uh, last night um, at about, I don't know, 6 o'clock, somewhere around there, Washington slash Rosen looks more and more like the pairing unless someone else steps up their offer. And he mentions the Chargers, the Patriots, and the Giants. Um, I uh, I did make a few calls, and what I heard is that the buzz around Rosen to the Redskins is legitimate. Certainly from the Redskins' perspective, that there is sincere interest in Josh Rosen. Um, that could be an indication of three things. One, they don't love the quarterback's Um, in this particular draft. Two, they don't think that the quarterbacks that they might like are going to be available and it would be too expensive to trade up to get the quarterback uh, that they like. And three, um, and this is a theme uh, for me anyway, they need a quarterback because they need, first of all, a player that can play the position, not just next year, but in the future. But they need a jolt in this franchise. They need something to energize the fans and potential fans um, for 2019. And a trade for Josh Rosen would certainly provide a jolt. I don't know what the true results of that would be from a business perspective, but right now things are disastrous out there. They had the renewal for season tickets um, recently, uh, and apparently it was an ugly, ugly day uh, with people, uh, more people than not choosing not to renew uh, season tickets. Um, I, I want to start with the Albright uh, report uh, from last night. Uh, what I found out as a follow-up to reading that, and by the way, J.P. Finley had a report as well on Rosen. What I found out is essentially the Redskins are in position to potentially offer the most. The Giants are not going to give up their first-round pick for Josh Rosen, um, but they may be willing to give up a, a, a package that, it would, that would include you know, mid-round picks or a series of mid-round picks. The Chargers and the Patriots obviously don't have a high enough first-round pick um, or a, as high a first-round pick as the Redskins have. Uh, look, Bruce Allen, and I mentioned this last night in a tweet, Bruce Allen's not been a very good team president or, you know, team president slash general manager for this organization. What he has done well, though, is he has been fiscally responsible for the most part, and he's been a very good negotiator uh, over the years. Now, I mentioned that Bruce Allen knows how to haggle. 
you know, and a couple of you pushed back with some of the recent trades, whether it was the Alex Smith trade or the RG3 trade or the uh, Donovan McNabb trade, you know, in 2010. Fair enough. He's been better at haggling contracts than perhaps he has been in trades. But to be fair, really, the Alex Smith trade in the moment and even the McNabb trade in the moment didn't look like anything but a fair deal. Um, you know, lots of different opinions on RG3 and what they had to give up to go up to number two to get him. But Bruce has been pretty good from a business standpoint of negotiating good deals, more of them than than bad, especially on the contract side. Again, on the trade side, I, I heard your response and th- those were fair points and I can't disagree with them. Um, but I think right now the, the situation is, first of all, the Cardinals ba- may be in wait-and-see mode right now, waiting for the best potential offer. I don't think the Redskins are willing to part with number 15 overall right now anyway, and maybe never. I do think they'd be willing to part with their second-round pick this year and one of their two third-round picks. They've got number 76 and then the compensatory pick at the end of the third round, number 96 overall, along with perhaps a late-round pick. So a package of a second, a third, and a later round pick for Rosen. I think that's probably in the area right now where Bruce Allen and Eric Schaefer are. Is that enough to get Arizona to move? Probably not right now. Um, Adam Schefter just uh, tweeted out moments ago uh, two tweets. I'll read them uh, for you. Number one, despite being the subject of rampant trade speculation, Arizona quarterback Josh Rosen is expected to report to and participate in the Cardinals offseason workout program on Monday, this coming Monday. Some players who have been subject of trade speculation have declined to report to workouts. Um, he then adds, plus, the Cardinals still have not engaged in active trade discussions to date on Josh Rosen. Other teams have asked about him, but to date, the Cardinals have not shown a willingness to trade him. And then Adam you know, ends his that second tweet with, to date, dot, 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 as if to be continued. Um, the Redskins are one of those teams that have reached out to the Cardinals and actively, you know, tried to discuss a potential trade for Josh Rosen. I believe that to be true. I believe that a lot of smoke around this also includes some legitimate fire. I think the Redskins are interested in Josh Rosen. So, um, before we get to Cooley, um, my feeling about Josh Rosen is this, uh, and I've been consistent on this. As a player, I like him, and I would be excited about him. Um, I liked him at UCLA. I liked him in last year's draft. Personally, I think he'd be a good fit for Jay Gruden, and I think he's a potential very good quarterback in the NFL. The problem with Rosen is what we really don't know. And those of us that are just fans of the team, or even media members, are never going to know the answers to things like, what kind of person is he? You know, does he love football? Uh, Is he a good teammate? Is he coachable? Is he a leader? You know, I found the quote from Jim Mora from a year ago, his UCLA coach. Jim Mora, about a year ago, in an interview with Peter King, said the following, quote, Josh needs to be challenged intellectually so he doesn't get bored. He's a millennial. He wants to know why. Millennials, once they know why, they're good. Josh has a lot of interests in life. 
if you can hold his concentration level and focus only on football for a few years, he will set the world on fire. He has so much ability, and he's a really good kid, closed quote. That is a quote of, yeah, he's gifted, he's talented, he's smart, but he's got to be into it. That's a concerned quote from his former college head coach, a coach that does not coach anymore in college, in Jim Mora. So I would say this, for number 15 overall, that's where I hesitate on Josh Rosen. I hesitate because number 15 overall, you know, you can't ever be sure about any of these picks and any of these young quarterbacks. It's, you know, we went through this a a month or so ago. It's one out of every three and a half actually hit in the first round of the draft. You know, for every Cam Newton, you've got a Christian Ponder, Jake Locker, and Blake Bortles. You know, you just, it's an inexact science. So for 15 overall, that's the reason you hesitate. What Jim Mora said, and and what has been said by many about Josh Rosen. Is he so interested in other things? He comes from affluence. Does he need football? Will he be hungry to become the best he can be? Um, does he love football? Cooley always asks that question. you got to find people who love football. That's the reason you hesitate for number 15 overall. However, for a package that would include this year's second rounder, one of the team's two third rounders, preferably the compensatory pick, the number 96 overall, and a later round pick, say a fifth, sixth, or seventh, I don't know that it's a no-brainer, but for me... I'd be totally in favor of that and also excited by it. But I'm easy when it comes to that. The thought of Rosen being the quarterback next year, you know, adding a pass rusher or a corner or maybe a wide receiver at number 15 overall, you get Darius Geis back healthy and he turns out to be the real deal. The draft, by the way, is deep enough in a lot of positions, including receiver, that you could potentially get a really good impact receiver with the other third-round pick you have without having to draft a receiver like a Metcalf or or a Marquise Brown at 15 overall, and you could add that pass rusher or the corner that you need there. But now you're in business a little bit for 2019 and beyond. For number 15... Overall, to me, it's a big risk. Not necessarily one I'd be favor, uh, in favor of, but I I want to make this really clear. If they did trade number 15 overall for Josh Rosen, I would be excited to see Rosen as the Redskins quarterback here next year and beyond. And from a contractual standpoint, we've pointed this out many times, as many have, it's a rookie deal still. Three years left on a rookie deal with a team option for a fourth year. It is, you know, that when you start talking about a package of a second and a third and a sixth, you do that. I think you do that. I, I don't want to categorize it or describe it as a no brainer, but we've seen the Redskins success with their second round picks anyway, in recent years that I would be totally in favor of. And if they did end up dealing number 15 overall, I would say what I've said before, which is he better have been very close 
to the 15th best player on your 2019 draft board. And that's the way to really evaluate this, is to put him in to the 2019 draft pool and put a grade on him. Where is he? Because if he's somewhere in that 10 to 20 range, and then you can justify in your own mind that number 15's worth it. That number 15 is worth it. If you've got him as as the top-rated quarterback or the second-best quarterback in this draft behind Kyler Murray, and he's a top you know 10 to 20 player on average, somewhere around 15th best player in the draft, then you can justify in your own mind giving up number 15 overall. But the unknown is the personal piece of it. You know, it really is the part that they're going to have to get right because we're not going to have the opportunity to sit down and interview him. We're not going to sit down at dinner with him and get to know him. We're not going to have the ability from a due diligence standpoint to talk to previous coaches and teammates to really find out if you're getting a guy that loves football and that is going to work at his craft and is going to get better and he's going to live up to the talent that he has. That's You could say that about a lot of players, but with him, there is some smoke around the kind of person you're getting, and that's what you have to be concerned with. But I am, I, I was thinking about this last night as it becomes perhaps a little bit more real of a possibility that Josh Rosen out there is the Redskins' starting quarterback on opening day with three years left on a rookie deal and a team option for a fourth, and Jay Gruden is his coach, and I think Jay knows how to coach up quarterbacks. I do. Um, He still needs a receiver. He still needs a legitimate receiver, someone who can get separation at the line of scrimmage, somebody who can get open consistently. The Redskins still will have many, many holes to fill. But right now, one of the biggest holes you have to fill is a quarterback. You have a, a... backup, a career backup who gets injured all the time, and a middling starter at best in Keenum. This is not a position that you have any confidence in in 2019 or in the future. First of all, you don't have anybody under contract beyond next year. So bringing Rosen into the organization I think would be exciting. I think it would give me personally, I don't know how you feel, it would give me a sense of something to be optimistic about. Maybe it would be a reach to be optimistic about anything happening in 2019. But if you end up being right about the quarterback, you've got a chance, regardless of how dysfunctional the organization is. If you get the quarterback piece right, you've got a chance to be a competitive team, a team that competes for the postseason you know, year in and year out if you get that position right. Um, They have had lock-in already. Daniel Jones is apparently coming in next week. Um, So you've got all of that going on as well. Uh, But the Rosen thing is definitely going to be one of those things that day by day here, um, we're going to get news that trickles out about Rosen. Uh, It's interesting that Schefter's tweet this morning indicates that nothing is imminent. Um, But I think also Adam tells you in that very final tweet of his, um, that you know, where he writes, other teams have asked about him, but to date, the Cardinals have not shown a willingness to trade him. And then he says, to date, dot, 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 as if to say, not yet, not so far. Um, but if the Cardinals 
end up becoming sold on Kyler Murray. And I wouldn't put that in there as a slam dunk at this point. Again, a year ago right now, nobody had Mayfield as the number one pick. Everybody was talking about Darnold a year a year ago, you know, three weeks before the draft. So things do change, and they change quickly and dramatically. But if the Cardinals are in on Kyler Murray, you would think that Rosen would be available. Why would they draft Rosen last year and say to him, oh, by the way, we've just drafted your replacement? How healthy of a situation could that really be? If they're going to draft Kyler Murray, I would be shocked if they don't trade Josh Rosen. The Redskins likely have the best available pick. I mean, the Giants do theoretically, but the Giants are not going to give up number six overall. Would the Redskins give up number 15? Would they have to give up number 15? For number 15, I think it's a lot of risk. I would still be excited to see him in a Redskins uniform next year, but I think it would be a high-risk move because of the personal stuff. Hopefully they'd get, they, they would get comfortable on that. But for any other package that doesn't include number 15 overall, yeah, I'd do it. I would definitely do it um, and be excited about it as a fan to see Josh Rosen as the Redskins quarterback next year. Real quick word on Window Nation, uh, and then we will bring Chris Cooley into this conversation. It's Window Nation's annual spring cleaning sales event. Are your windows having issues, cracks, hard to open, unusual moisture, or are you just window shopping? If so, call Window Nation today and schedule a free in-home estimate. Window Nation will save you 33% off your entire purchase, window siding, and doors. Get upfront pricing and no hidden terms. Just 33% off every style of window, house of siding, and all doors, including labor. Plus, for the next two weeks, you'll save even more with 0% interest for five full years on your entire purchase. That's 0% interest until the year 2024. Get a jump on your spring cleanup and call Window Nation, where every window is installed by a factory-trained professional and guaranteed to be done right the first time. Every window is backed by a company with an A-plus Better Business Bureau ranking and over 10,000 positive online reviews. There are many reasons Window Nation has installed over 475,000 windows in total in more than 80,000 homes, including mine. Hurry, these off-season savings won't last long. Call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Tell them I told you to call. Harley, Aaron, Eric, they're the best. They'll send the best guy out to your home free of charge to give you an estimate that will be valid for 60 days. The price quote they give you will be valid for 60 days. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. All right, let's bring in Cooley uh, on the podcast. You can listen to Cooley's podcast, which he puts together a few times a week on any platform that podcasts are available, the same as mine, you know, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, all of them. And you can just go to redskins.com, which it's easy to do to listen to the podcast as well. All right, I just finished talking about some of the news out there about Josh Rosen uh, to the Redskins, that seems to be heating up a little bit. Nothing definitive, but reports out of Denver. JP had some information. Schefter this morning, you know, pushed back a little bit saying for now, um, it is, you know, the Cardinals aren't interested in dealing uh, Rosen, but there is interest in teams have contacted the Cardinals. But it, he wrote that the Cardinals right now have not shown a willingness to trade him, but he writes to date. 
meaning you know that could change. So I want to start the conversation there. We've talked about Rosen in the past, but I want to get your updated thoughts on Rosen. First question is this. Is Josh Rosen worth number 15 overall? Yes or no? Not, not to me. I, I think that you have to weigh into some of what happened in Arizona this year. So 15's a stretch. You do put him right into this quarterback class, though, in my opinion, and, and say if you if you were going to draft him in this class and you didn't say last year, you just went on his college film, where would he go? And I think he probably would go at 15. So then I why? Some, then, then I think there were some struggles that he had at UCLA in terms of seeing the entire field, checking the ball down, getting underneath throws, not making, you know, what I've essentially called FU throws under pressure. Just here, here we go. Let's see if someone will make a play. And those were exaggerated in Arizona last year. Now, all that said, you know, it was not a good spot for him last year in Arizona. It's so similar to the Jared Goff situation with the Rams before Sean McVay came. So I think that there's a lot of interesting with Rosen. The good is, he, mechanically, he's an outstanding quarterback. Uh, what he does in the pocket, what he does with, with arm talent, with, with being able to make a ton of throws, you know, there's some specialness to him. But there's also that negative, and then there's that, that whole, what kind of guy is he? Right. And that was another issue. So as far as 15, my, my issue is I'm not sure on Rosen and I am sure that you can get a starter at 15 that that you need. You, you, I mean, you mean there, at, a, at another position? Here's the other thing. No one's going to trade 15 for Rosen. Like That's that's the next thing, Kevin, is no one's going to give up a mid-first for Rosen, which is why I'm sure the Cardinals are very interested in the Redskins because it's probably the highest pick available that somebody could potentially trade. Yes, that's true. I mean, the Giants could potentially trade, but they're not going to. But oh, they could trade but, 17. But but again, I want to go back to something, because I'm going to get to the next question, which is what kind of package would you uh, be fine with? Um, because I think, per- personally, the Redskins are, are unwilling to part with number 15, and they're looking at another package that would include like a second, one of their two-thirds, and a later-round pick. But you said something, that you put him into this draft pool, you put a, you put a number on him, you put a grade on him, and if he ends up being somewhere the second best quarterback in this draft and the you know 12th through 18th best player on your board well then why wouldn't you give up number 15 overall I don't think he is the 12th best player on this board I think there are 12 I think there are 18 better players on this board okay. right now I think he's mid 20s so that's why I wouldn't give it, it up and and it's also that I don't necessarily want to lose what should be a Pro Bowl type player at 15? I, I, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot I like about him, and I went back and watched every single one of his college games. And there are games where he's the first pick of the draft, but in every game, in every single game, there are moments where you scratch your head and go, "What? <laughs> yeah, why would why did you throw it what to the wrong doing? team? You threw it to what, the what, other what team. Is, how, and, yeah. Why why is he doing this? Like what? What's the deal here? And, and, and so you see that. The propensity to make some big mistakes in big situations and, and some dumb, dumb things where you just, just throw it underneath and take take the yards. So um, it's real. I think it's really interesting. Uh, 
I, I saw everywhere because I did a film breakdown. I saw everywhere like Chris Cooley really hates Josh Rosen. I don't hate Josh Rosen. I think he's I think he's got the potential to be a really good player. I think he's got a lot of fundamentals that I love. I think you can you can teach him, build around him. The Redskins would be a great fit because he's going to be behind two really good dudes in Keenum and and Colt, and two really smart dudes in Keenum and Colt. So that room would fit really well. I think with Rosen, neither of those guys. I don't know, maybe Keenum. Do they really expect to truly be starters forever? Keenum's on a one-year deal. They'd be fine with it. So it'd be a good fit. Um, I, I read the I read a quote because uh, I remembered that Jim Mora, his UCLA coach, um, had done an interview this time last year and was critical of Rosen. You know, And I, I went and found the quote and I read it, and it speaks to what I think your concern is and what I described as well with respect to number 15 overall is, you know, what kind of guy are you getting? And the quote went this way. He, he said it to Peter King a year ago, Jim Mora did. He said, quote, Josh needs to be challenged intellectually so he doesn't get bored. He's a millennial. He wants to know why. Millennials, once they know why, they're good. Josh has a lot of interests in life. If you can hold his concentration level and focus only on football for a few years, he will set the world on fire. He has so much ability, and he's a really good kid, closed quote. First of all, the challenged, and he gets bored, that would apply to you. I remember Mike Shanahan telling me, the problem with Chris is he got it so quickly that you know we, had to, we, we taught to the rest of the class, and he was just back there drawing pictures after the first 15 minutes because he was so bored. Um, but I think the the part of the uh, quote that we've heard before is Josh has a lot of interests in life. If you can hold his concentration level and have him focus only on football for a few years, he'll set the world on fire. That's that's a concern that came from his head coach. You know, last year before the draft. That's the only part of that quote that has any weight to it. The right. millennial stuff. That's get off my lawn garbage. He needs to know why. Well, yeah, everyone wants to know why. Not everybody. You did, and 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 I. I like people you know who are curious. I said this. I said this the other day. One of my favorite traits in a player, or in in someone in my business, is curiosity. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Just, I I like that, and I don't know if it's a millennial thing or if it's my age group or whatever it is, or if it's a certain type of person. But I like a person who knows why, because when they know why, then they're able to really go out and execute. I hate the, you're just going to do what I say you're supposed to do, and I'm not going to give you any leeway. I mean, you sent me the Aaron Rodgers thing. This thing screams Aaron Rodgers McCarthy seven years from now, unless well, you have a guy that fits with him. Right. Well, yeah, well, I, I, I would hope that Jay, from an offensive standpoint and a quarterback standpoint, is better for a player than 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 McCarthy was, but I don't. By the way, I don't think it's a millennial thing. You and I have talked about this a lot in the past. That curiosity is a good thing, um, but not everybody wants to know why. A lot of people are are raised a, a, to be employees and to you know take direction. The Just co- show me the, what to do. The coach do the coach told me to do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. I know you weren't that way, and I, 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 you know, but anyway, so that that's one of the reasons you you would hesitate about number fifteen overall. What about a package that includes this year's second, one of their two thirds? All right, they've got seventy six plus ninety six, which is the compensatory third rounder they got, and say a fifth, you know, a second, third, and fifth. Would you do it for that? Yeah, I would do it for that. Yeah, me too. I think I would try to shop out next year's third. 
if I could possibly shop out next year's third. But if you try to do it for that, then you can potentially trade back in the first round and get a later first or get another second and another third. I mean, there's some things that you could do to still acquire, you know, a couple high-level picks if you were to move your second. So, yeah, I, w- I would do it for that. And I just believe at 15, it's you get whoever you want, essentially. And there's going to be a pool of five guys that should be Pro Bowl-type players, at the, even at that spot. They might not be the elite of the elite, but they're sure things. And I hate giving away a sure thing in that situation. Yeah, I do so too. So the second, yeah, I would absolutely do it. And, and, and the third would be, you know, hey, look, can we give you next year's third? Yeah, I think, we'll give you a fifth, or I, we'll give you a sixth. I think the challenge at that point becomes whether or not, say, the Patriots decide to give up the last pick in the first round for the quarterback of the future if they really like Rosen. You know. That so here's would... the thing that I was thinking about with this Rosen stuff, and, and the Cardinals saying they're not interested right now. I, I started to talk to you about this yesterday. Time, their general manager, hired a new head coach and drafted a quarterback in the first round. Do you really want to be wrong on both of them immediately? <laughs> right. <laughs> For a late first? I, I think that there's some risk to it. And he brings in Kingsbury, a guy who a lot of people said because he's worked with Sean, and Sean asked him a bunch of stuff about his air raid offense, that that he's a brilliant quarterback dude, offensive dude. Why aren't they thinking, okay, let's just draft Bosa, and or let's trade that first pick back a few spots, that first pick has more value by far than any other pick and and get a bunch of stuff in this draft and we'll we'll work with Rosen. We like him enough that we'll work with him. And let's make it look like, you know, we we're going to for sure take Murray and that that pick has more value because if you want it, you really have to give us a lot for it. I just and then and then you start talking about trading him to the Patriots. Like, like, let's just say you trade him to the Patriots and Tom Brady plays one more year, and then Rosen's awesome in an organization that's going to help him be awesome behind Tom Brady after playing with Tom Brady. Three years down the line, you've traded away Rosen for a late first, and he is a Pro Bowl quarterback for the New England Patriots. Like, I'm not trading him to the Patriots. I'm not trading him to any team that he's probably going to have great success with in the, in the near future. Well, I mean, then you're, you know, if if the group includes the Chargers, Giants, Patriots, and Redskins, and your goal is to trade him to an organization where he's got the least chance to be successful, then the Redskins should be the front runner. <laughs> well, the Giants don't look like they're going to. Be I just don't think. Year. I just don't think that that would be in their mind. It would be for me if I was a general manager not if you're an NFC sure he looked team. like a bust. If you're an NFC team trading him to an AFC team, I, I know what you're saying, but the here the Steve Kime thing is interesting. Last year, new coach, quarterback in the first round, and then a year later, another new coach and another new quarterback. But if you're absolutely sold on Kyler Murray, I don't think that you can bring Kyler Murray in a year after uh, telling Josh Rosen you're our guy, and have it work for Josh Rosen, 
and 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 then hence by extension have it work for the team. I think if they if they're going to draft Kyler Murray, I know what you're saying. And by the way, I'm not suggesting that they have them both on the roster. Okay, okay. I wanted to make sure of that because I don't think it's completely out of the question that they end up not drafting Kyler Murray and they pick Bosa and they trade the pick. I mean, I, I've mentioned this a few times in the last week. A year ago, or certainly a year and a month ago, Sam Darnold was going to be the first pick in the draft. Baker Mayfield was not being considered. No one was talking about Baker Mayfield being the number one pick in the draft uh, in March of 2018. So these things change so quickly and dramatically almost every year when it comes to this position. It really no, does. It's, there, there's no question. I, it's, it's so up and down. and it, like They could like Drew Locke more. And say, hey, look, let's trade back to seven. We'll get Locke. Let's trade back to five, and we'll get Locke. They they could like Locke at this point. But the thing, the thing with Murray, like everything I just brought up about not wanting Rosen to have success somewhere else, or not wanting to commit to failure. If you don't draft Murray, and Rosen's not good for you, and and Murray's a yeah. baller next year, then you're even dumber. I know. It, you know, it, we've, we we talk about this all the time on on quarterbacks and drafts and. It really is. like I, I almost don't think if I were a GM, I'd want the first pick in the draft with, with a perceived quarterback need because it's so hard or, or have a high first round. Just think about it. I've gone through the list many times, but 2011, in the first round, Locker, Gabbert, Ponder. You know, the next year in the first round, Griffin, Tannehill, Whedon. In the first round the next year was E.J. Manuel. Then it was Bortles, Manziel, and Bridgewater. Like, it is a one-in-four shot. It's basically, like, historically, a 25% chance you're going to get that position right in the first round. It's not with the first overall. With the first overall? The first overall overall is like a 70% starter success rate. Well, let's go through them. Okay. The, the fir- the... I looked this up the other day, so you can go through Oh, you're saying you want, num- but... number one, number one. Well, number one, number are you one absolutely convinced on, on Goff? Are you absolutely convinced on Winston? Are you absolutely... Oh, I'm not convinced on Winston, but that goes into the failure rate. Bra- I'm convinced Bra- Bradford, of... Bradford's a failure as, as a number one overall. I just gave yeah, you the last I mean, five. Yes, but... but yeah. I'm convinced enough that Goff isn't a failure. He took his team to the Super Bowl. I know. No, I, I'm not saying, but but he's not. He's not a. He's not an elite quarterback. I Jared Goff is. I mean, numbers I think, numbers would say that there's a pretty good debate to that that he's going to be an elite quarterback. His last two years, he's had the highest scoring offense. Which side of the debate would you take? That he's an elite quarterback or that he's not an elite quarterback? I think it's still yet to be seen. To be honest with you, Kevin, uh, right now he's. Elite at times, but I think he struggles under pressure, and I, I think he struggles in, uh, excuse me, not under pressure in the pocket, under pressure situations, and I think he struggles in certain weather situations. I, he doesn't play well in the cold. You saw what he did against the Bears. So there are some things that he's still growing up to be better at. I guess we could also look at the last couple of drafts. You know, the 2017 draft, it was Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson in the, in the first round. Right now, that looks like a the best quarterback draft in terms of the percentage of quarterbacks are gonna, that are going to turn out to be legitimate starters with a star, maybe two stars. Who knows? Maybe all three of them will, will be stars. And then last year, you know, the early returns on Mayfield, Darnold, Josh Allen – 
pretty good. And Josh Rosen and Lamar Jackson still to be determined. But the first three that were taken look like real NFL quarterbacks. So maybe we're now in an upward trend of you can't go wrong in the first round. Who knows? But it historically has been a crapshoot. Yeah, just number one, number one overall historically hasn't been. Yeah, but you know what? We and ha- I'm not talking about you. Like you, you've gone back four years. I'm talking about going back to like Elway draft. Um, yeah, early '80s. I mean, I'm just gonna. Get, I, I'm, I'm. You know, Alex Smith was number one, number one overall. All right, that's not a bust. Uh, it's not a bust, but it, you didn't end up with an elite quarterback. You ended up with a middle of the pack starting quarterback at his best. Jamarcus Russell was number one overall bust. Matt Stafford was number one overall. I have always been a Stafford fan. Um, I don't know if I, I don't think I've ever considered him elite, but a good quarterback. Sam not a bust. Sam Bradford, bust or not bust, is the number one well, overall. It's, it's, I mean, he had a decent year last year. You're not going to say bust on that. Sam, they're, Bra- they're very pleased with Sam. Oh, Sam see, sorry, I'm, Sam I'm thinking of Darnold. Sam Bradford, yeah, bust as a number one overall. Yeah, not an elite quarterback. Cam Newton hit. Andrew Luck hit. Um, Jameis Winston still to be determined. Bust. Well, I like Winston. You think he? You don't think he'll ever? Yeah, I mean, get he's there? Got, like we'll see what happens in this new offense with Arians. But this right. is this and is then, his third staff in five years. That there's a reason. And then Goff and Mayfield have been the last two uh, as a number one overalls. Um, Kyler Murray, by the way, totally different than any of these quarterbacks, with the exception, I guess, of Baker Mayfield, who was picked last year at number one overall. Like a completely different type of quarterback taken number one overall. We've we've really not seen that until last year. Um, all right, an- another question about Rosen, because you addressed um, you know what you like about him and what your concerns are about him. Is he a the way he plays? Is he a good fit for Jay's offense? Wow. Yes. You really had to think about that one. I did. I really did have to think about it. Yeah, I think he's a good fit for Jay's offense. I I, I do. I I think that Jay's offense really isn't a quick game type of offense. It's a let's get the ball down the field type of offense, and we want you to look deep first offense. Alex was really probably not a good fit for Jay's offense, to be honest with you. (laughs) Well, it's a good thing he had Jay's offense didn't adapt to Alex Smith is the other thing. But I I don't understand that because, to me, Alex Smith looked – to me, like, on in many ways, not that much different than Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins, except for his mobility. It's Jay's offense is not a quick game rhythm passing offense. It was with Kirk. More, more, more yeah, so. But that was Sean's offense. Okay. That was Sean calling the offense. It was Jay's offense, whatever you want to say, but it was Sean calling the offense. What? So it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a lot of boot. It wasn't a lot of easy throws. Not it last was, year. And not the year before. Well, to me, when I think of Josh Rosen, the reason I asked you the question is I see a lot of similarities with Dalton and with Kirk and not the same level of mobility or athleticism that Alex Smith has, but some similarities where he would fit definitely the Sean McVay Redskin offense. I think he's just a Jay Gruden offense. I think Jay wants a guy that will challenge defenses down the field when he gets opportunities to. He wants guys to take shots. He wants a little bit of gunslinger. I think that's why he likes Colt McCoy so much. 
And Rosen is a gunslinger. He will take chances. Oh, he is the definition of gunslinger. He will take so many chances. Yep. And he will throw it into tight windows, and he will if he's got a look down the field, he's going to take that look down the field. And he's going to throw some picks. Yeah, he's going to throw some picks. You know what else? He's going to take some sacks, and he's going to fumble he's like gonna crazy. He's going to fumble like the guy nuts. Does not protect the ball in the pocket. <laughs> not last year. Nor the year before in college. <laughs> um, so, so you do think he'd be a good fit for Jay's offense? But would he? Would he have been a good? You know, last year. You know, last year he he had more fumbles than anyone in the league per dropback. Per dropback. Because Kirk had to have a lot of – he had a lot of fumbles. Yeah, well, he had more than Kirk per drop back by far. <laughs> I can just see it now. The, I, I don't have my notebook on me, the but one, the, numbers, the numbers astronomical how many fumbles he had. Our fan base seems to think over the years the quarterbacks don't throw interceptions, just our quarterbacks throw interceptions, but interceptions get thrown around the league all the time. But the fumble thing would drive them nuts. They're not protecting the ball. I, it's crazy because people go nuts about interceptions, but fumbles are turnovers, and a fumble is a turnover a quarterback should never have. Well, Rosen, like interceptions are explainable a lot of the time. They're understandable. They're sometimes they're taking shots. Like normally, a quarterback when you look at them, like a decent quarterback, if they throw fifteen picks, seven of them are not their fault. Rosen was under siege last year in Arizona. I mean, the game. Remember, before, the last time we had the conversation about Rosen. I had watched a bunch of games, and you had just started that process, and I'm like, good God, there were plays where he didn't even have a chance to get his feet set, and he was getting hit from all sides. Well, there are also answers a lot of the time. And for a quarterback who does not want to take the easy throw when it's immediately available, there's a lot of situations where he's going to get hit. Does he offer up a chance on paper anyway, or on film, to be a better quarterback solution and situation than the one the Redskins have now with either Keenum or McCoy? I'm not talking about the future. Well, yeah, yes. I'm talking I'm about next stop year. You. The answer is 100% yes. Okay. He's has, he has long-term starter potential. Neither of those have that. They're both in their 30s. They both have journeyed around the league to some extent. Well, Colt's only been on a couple teams, but yeah, neither of them have proven that they're going to be the legit guy. Although I do think it's interesting that Denver was so willing to get rid of Keenum immediately. 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 And he was good. Well, they had, he they, wasn't as bad as people thought well, last they, year in Denver. I don't dislike having Keenum as a, as a guy here. I don't. I mean, I, it'll be interesting how they compete. But you like but that to, is another benefit for, for a guy like Rosen is you have a full year where there's no pressure. You Here's like, another interesting question for you, and I'll ask you. Because I don't really want to answer it, and I shouldn't ask it really. But does it make it more appealing for a new head coach in a year if you were going to hire a new head coach? I think that's a really good question because I, if everybody, if there's a general consensus that Rosen's a legit talent and that you can win with Josh Rosen as your quarterback, right now people view him that way. I'm just saying if there's a consensus on that, then you're really not taking risk on making a trade for him, whether Jay's here next year or not. You're, but but if, if, if you're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole from a personality standpoint, from a talent standpoint, you think he's actually fit, you know, perfectly, a, a, a good, perfect fit for Jay's system, then yeah, you are taking a chance if we all believe that Jay is potentially in his last year as head coach. Because then your ability to attract the next one, 
Well, you know what? No, here, here's why it's not a risk. It's because of the contract. If if he if he's not any good, it doesn't matter because you're not spending big money on him. You can still a year from now, if he wasn't the right guy, if Jay you know gets cut loose as they go five and eleven, and Rosen stunk, it doesn't mean that you can't attract a new coach with a new quarterback strategy because he's still on his rookie deal, and at that point he's only got two years left on the rookie deal. No, I understand that, but it makes it more appealing to have a guy that if. Look, if I'm going to take a head coaching job, I think it's perfect the kind of job that Sean McVay went into. You have a built roster to some extent with a guy that you can develop as a quarterback, as your quarterback. I'm not suggesting Jay's getting fired by any means. I'm just saying if they end up having another six, seven win season, it's probably likely that he will be fired. It's just the, it's just the nature of, of the NFL it's in every level. It's a production league. Look, I, so, I thought that this year. And so so if, if you go into the season, let's just say you go, you finish this season, don't acquire a quarterback, and you, and you win seven games, all right? Colt is probably – I think he's in his last year, right? Yeah. yeah. He's in his last year. Keenum's in his last year. You didn't acquire a quarterback, and you don't have a pick necessarily good enough to get the quarterback that you really like for a new coach to build his organization. This is a tough sell. Yeah. I, for the first head coach – for the first and the most desirable two or three head coaches. On the Gruden front, just so we're clear, we both thought – that if Jay didn't get to the playoffs or if Jay had a bad year in 2018, that he was in deep, deep trouble. So the notion that Jay is definitely not going to survive another 7-9 and nine or 6-10 and 10 season next year, I don't think he will. Like if you told me right now I had to wager on they don't make the playoffs next year, it's another disappointing season, injuries or no injuries as an excuse, I would bet that he's not going to be here in 2020. But it's possible that he'll be here because he is. Yeah, no, I'm not suggesting that it's not possible or that there's a guaranteed he's not going to make it out of the season if he wins seven games or if he wins eight games and doesn't make the playoffs or if six, if he wins six and something happens. I, I just don't, I can't say that at this point because I really have no idea. But it, but to your point, it's not, you wouldn't bet against it. No, the, the context is, you know, and we can envision it. There are multiple, you know, there are multiple situations where he would be back. Another injury-riddled season where Bruce somehow convinces Dan that they would have been a playoff team and a Super Bowl contender had it not been for the injuries. Or let's just say they trade for Rosen and that it starts off slowly, but it starts to build late and you start to see the potential of Gruden and Rosen together in the offense. If you add another receiver, if you add a good tight end and they finish eight and eight, you know, they win four out of their last six to finish eight and eight. They miss the playoffs, but there's an upward trend, which sure, you know, so all of that's in play. I have a question for you. Another question for you as it relates to the overall sort of organizational mindset to this stuff, how important, is Rosen or a first-round quarterback, Locke or Daniel Jones or whomever, how important is it to the organization right now that they find a quarterback? They had season ticket renewal deadlines either earlier this week or late last week. I forget when it was. And I've been told it did not go well. Not a shocker, but that it didn't go well. What how you call the ticket office? How badly? <laughs> I talked to a lot of people on that. How you badly? 
Larry Jones down at the ticket office, he said, Kevin, this this oh. is not happening. <laughs> I've gotten five calls in a row from people saying they're not renewing. How badly does this franchise need a young quarterback to give fans, potential fans, a chance to legitimately believe in the future? Desperately. Like I look at I look at so I was I'm gonna kind of go off track a little bit, but I was watching a, one of those AAF games before it went under this week, and I just sat there and thought I could care less. Right. I just I I, I didn't I, watch one minute of it. Yeah, it, it was because I didn't know anybody. If you can't market and sell your players, then people don't really care. Rosen, would you agree that of, of all the quarterbacks, other than Murray? Um, that Rosen would be the biggest, uh, would be the most marketable move for the franchise, more so than Locke or Jones or even Haskins. Do you agree with that? I think maybe I think that Murray, Locke, Haskins are all incredibly marketable. I'm not sure on Daniel Jones just yet uh, in terms of his marketability. I, I, he reminds me of Eli Manning. Uh, the, I'm not talking about the personality of the player. I'm talking about the reaction from the fans on the move. What, what would excite them the most of all the quarterback stuff we're talking about? Take Murray off the table because Murray, Murray would the be the number one. For me, Locke, but I'm assuming Rosen would be – I think Rosen would probably – Haskins, Haskins will be really intriguing as well. A lot of people think Haskins is a star, and you don't, and I don't either. Neither of us do, so we're not gonna we're not gonna use that answer. But theoretically, no, but, but the he local might. kid who's got so yeah. much potential, who had statistics out the butt at Ohio State, he's going to be incredibly marketable. And remember, Haskins of the quarterbacks in the draft, other than Murray, take Murray off the table. Haskins is the one that fans know because he played for Ohio State and everybody watches Ohio State every week. You n- nobody, I guarantee you, 80% of our fan base that is now looking at quarterbacks and getting into the draft didn't see Drew Locke play one football game last year live and didn't see Daniel Jones play one football game last year live and didn't see, uh, uh, well, they probably saw Jarrett Stidham a lot more than any of these guys. But they saw a hell of a lot of Haskins, like every week, prime time. And so Haskins would be the guy, to me, if we take Murray off the equation, out of the equation, Haskins and Rosen are the two guys that give the franchise a jolt. I don't think Locke does it. You and I would be excited about Locke. I actually like Jones, too. But I don't think either one of those two would, would give, it'd be, especially depending on where you take him. You know, it has to be in the first round to have any sort of real impact. Yeah, and, and for sure. Like, if you take Will Greer in the third round or Stidham in the third round or Daniel Jones um, falls to the 46th pick in the second round, everyone's going to say, like, there's a reason he fell. You know, we settled on a guy. Yeah, 46th. Uh, I, I think I said something like that. He's going to go before that. But yeah. w- let's say you traded up and or traded back in the first and got him, or or if he fell any further than 15, which he should, then there's a reason everyone's going to understand that. It, it's not going to be like when John Allen fell and we were pumped about a guy like John Allen falling that that far. Even though he's a D lineman, it's not as, as marketable or as exciting. It's kind of 
Daniel Jones, the rest of the quarterbacks after Locke and Murray should go after 20. Rank them right now. You've you've done have you done now film breakdowns on all of the quarterbacks that are possible first rounders? Other than the kid out of all oh, that are possible first rounders, yeah. Okay, so rank them for me. Just film Murray is one. He's insane when you watch him on tape. Locke is two. Take guy leadership. In terms of time and he's played in a, in a, in a in a college team on a college team with with success and growing. I I would take Locke. I I would love to to have Locke. I think he's awesome. But it's hard to pass on transcendent talent like Murray. Would that be, Jones? But would that be a debate? Like, if you had a choice of Locke or Murray, would that be a debate for you? The only, if I had a no, if I had a debate, it would be because I would be afraid of missing out on something, not having the guy that I wanted. Right. It, I would be afraid of losing my job because I missed out on something. Um, okay, so Murray. And so then, so then I, I think you're right in a group of guys. With uh, I think Finley and Jones are very comparable. I like Daniel Jones a little more than I like Finley. And then you go down the list. To, like I like Will Greer a lot, but it just looks like it hurts him to throw the ball. Like he has so much effort into throwing the ball. <laughs> that it's tough. Yeah, he, he reminds me so much of Rex. I think he's probably a late second, early third round pick, and he'll, he'll rise because of the kind of guy he is, and and he'll he'll impress people in interviews. He's smart. He's a football player. But it, you haven't mentioned Haskins yet. Is ha- you've mentioned five quarterbacks. Is Haskins six? So the thing with Haskins is. It's so unknown how long it's going to take him to develop. He, they were so minimal in what they did at Ohio State with Haskins. He made a ton of big throws, but most of his big throws came on play-action type of throws. I thought they had three outstanding receivers, three that could win. They were hard to match up with. He did not impress me in any level in terms of reading the field or getting through his progressions or, or having the anticipation needed in, on, in an NFL level. That, that, to me, was the most. He needed to see his wide receivers come open before he threw the ball. It never just came out in timing and rhythm. So, I, yeah, I think he's got a long way to go. And, he, by the way, he can't move in the pocket. He's sluggish. He's got slow feet. He, uh, he's slow as it is, but he's not quick in the pocket either. It's not like he's a big guy. He's got some, some good agility. He's just slow. So I, I guess you could say he could get better, lose weight. I don't know. He looked, he looked slow. Didn't you so li- that's gonna, that hurt him as well. And if he were to have to play next year, he's going to take a ton of sacks. Didn't you like Brett Rippon from Boise? Yeah, I like Rippon. All right, I'm not. I'm not 100 percent convinced on all of the intangibles with Rippon. I, I like his competitiveness. I like that he'll he'll make some big throws and big spots and some things he does that really impress you. What about uh, the big guy from Buffalo, the the six seven quarterback? I haven't watched that kid yet. You haven't watched him yet because there have been some reports here over the last week that he is rising up the boards, like he could be potentially. You know, and we've seen this before. Like out of nowhere, there's Tyree Jackson taken late in the first round. But yeah, I'm not sure about Tyree Jackson. I think Stidham's an interesting one. You did? I thought you didn't Gus like Malzahn, him. Gus Malzahn's offense is a high school <clears throat> offense. It's he, there was no reason for him to stay because I think he showed all he's going to show within that system, which is tremendous arm talent. 
but as, in terms of anticipating that offense, having he didn't. He missed a lot of throws down the field. He missed a lot of open receivers. Uh, I, I didn't like Stidham very much, but I, I'm watching that offense. I don't know. I don't know if you're going to fall in love with a quarterback in that system. Right. I kind of liked him. I, I I remember when you went to because you t- watched him on TV. Yeah, I did. Dude, Stidham a had lot. 13 touchdown passes on the season. He had five in the Purdue game in the bowl. I know. He had I know. eight total touchdown no, his, passes his, all season. His 2000, not the bowl game. His 2017. You take out the Purdue film, and you don't like Stidham. His 2017 season was much better. He also had, you know, guys like Carryon Johnson in the backfield. He had better players around him in 2017. Yeah, look at Ohio State. Did it's you the same type of system? Did you look at Clayton Thorson at all? The North? That's the one I want to watch, and I haven't gotten to yet. Okay. Well, you should watch Jackson too. Thorson and Jackson. Yeah, I got a lot of watching, don't I, buddy? Well, I mean, you know, the draft's coming up. I mean, these are the quarterbacks. I mean, people want to know. I just know. don't see us taking a quarterback not in the first round. I know. I just don't see us taking a quarterback in the third round to take a quarterback. I think Greer would be the only interesting one in the third that the Redskins would probably want to take. I think that they're trying to find a franchise quarterback. McLuhan told Kime that he only thinks one quarterback, and that's Murray, or he implied Murray because he's selling his information. But you, you basically the takeaway was there's only one first-round quarterback, and that's Murray. Sweet. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, prioritize right now because there are a lot of needs. What is the most important need for the Redskins going into this draft? Just quarterback. Okay, after quarterback. But let's just say you wanted. Let's just say for this season, right? Even if you got a Rosen, lock any of these guys, they're not going to start. It is a good situation. You're going to start Keenum or McCoy. Not if you trade for Rosen. You're not. That's a debate. Really? I think so. <laughs> if you if you make a big trade for Josh Rosen, you got to play him, and he doesn't start right now. I'll bet you five hundred dollars that if they trade for Rosen, he is the starter day one. Five hundred bucks. Well, that call won't come from the head coach. <laughs> That's great. That's so encouraging. Because the head coach. That's awesome. I, I will bet you five hundred dollars right now. Feels some pressure to win football games, and is going to lose some football games because Josh Rosen's the starting quarterback this season. So. He may come in at some point, and it may be early, but I'll bet you that Keenum or McCoy would be your starter to kick the season off. All right, that's a bet right so, now. So whatever uh, you want to say I, with that. Assuming I mean, the trade. Assuming the trade. If they trade for Rosen, I will bet you right now, even money, all right, 500 bucks that Rosen's the starter day one. I'm not going to take the bet. Why? I'm not going to say that call's not coming in. But <laughs> well, I'm just telling you that I'll bet you 500 bucks Jay doesn't want to start – Rosen. Well, then then you know what? They shouldn't trade for Rosen. Yeah, they should trade for him. There's no problem with not having a guy play the second you freaking get him. I understand that. Keep the toy that, in the that, wrapper until that, Christmas. That's totally fair. But you know what? Jay Gruden, because he needs to win, if he has any influence on any of these decisions, is going to say, I need a pass rusher and a wide receiver and a corner. I need it now. And he needs fi- a tight end more than he needs a receiver. Okay, or a tight end. But at 15 overall, or with our second-round pick that you want to trade for Josh Rosen, who's not going to be ready for us for a few years. Uh, and, and by the way, he's only got he's got four years. Uh, he's got three years left on the rookie deal with a team option for fifth, so you can view it as a, as four years left. But I, 
he if Rosen if if you're telling me that he he would pick Colt McCoy or Case Keenum right now over Josh Rosen as the starter in 2019, then the trade is going to be made by Bruce, and then I think I even feel better about he'll he'll absolutely order Gruden to start. Josh Rosen, he and Dan will in the opener. There's no way they're going to sell Josh Rosen tickets in all summer long and then have him sitting over there holding the clipboard in the opener. Well, what would you do? I think Rosen's. I think Rosen might be better than both of them anyway. And I and he's I, not right now. Okay, he's not. He's not close to Keenum right now. Colt, we just don't know. But he's not Keenum right now. Colt might not even be ready. And oh, oh, by the way, we haven't even considered this. I did when they made the trade for Keenum. And Colt I, will be ready. That Colt potentially could get released or traded if they were to trade for Josh Rosen. Yeah, he might go to Arizona. Maybe that's part. Maybe that's part of the deal. Maybe. But although, would you really want Colt to back up Kyler Murray? Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure, I'd sure, like a guy yeah. that I knew could get along with anybody that the dudes love. Yeah, sure. That if you were Murray, you'd look at it and say, "Look, this guy's been a backup his whole career. He had a backup RG three, had a backup Kirk Cousins. He's gonna, he was going to have to backup Keenum potentially. Like he's just my backup." So here's the trade: you got to give up your second. You got to give up number forty six overall, but you're going to also include Colt McCoy and Josh Doxson for Josh Rosen. And you keep sure. you keep the picks and the, and. And you know what? This this your, your fifth is not like a. It'd be interesting if you package Josh Doxson and Colt McCoy. You're going to get a fifth. <laughs> you think the two of them together only bring back a fifth? It's a fourth. I don't know what the value of Colt McCoy is at any given time. Josh Rosen, Josh Doxson's not getting. You're not getting anything for him. Uh, I know. Well. You, you're going to you, you'd get, a, get a, a seventh. Yeah, you'd get a Someone kid. may just throw in a seventh. Now you, you're not – sorry to Josh It would be conditional. No one's trading for him. <clears throat> it would be conditional. It would be a conditional pick. You know, if he played and he produced, you'd end up getting something may, maybe as a high conditional as – conditional sixth. Maybe as high sure. as a fifth. And then, if not, you'd probably get a sixth. Right. Um, so, you ask the needs. You need a pass rusher. You need a tight end. I love a couple of the tight ends. The kid out of San Diego State's really good. Hawkinson's a sure thing at 15. And then the kid out of A&M can do some things as well. A&M and San Diego State could be your second rounder if it were there. I don't know if they fall to the third. The guy from San Diego State is is his last name's uh, Waring or Waring, whatever. Waring. But, but do you like him? By the way, the 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 tight end. Remember when we had the last conversation? You probably don't remember about Josh Rosen. And I said, who is that tight end that he threw to over and over again in 2017 in particular? It's Caleb Wilson. Do you like him? Have you looked at him? No. Because I think I he, don't really. Like, I think he's, he's an H back. He's projected somewhere in the second to third round. He, a he's lot an H back. Uh, do you... you don't need an H-back right now. Okay. You know the Redskins have more money tied up in the salary cap and tight ends than any other team right now? It's ridiculous. And you know, <laughs> 2018, and I'm telling you that their biggest need on offense is a tight end. Well, don't you think they're going to release Vernon Davis if they draft a tight end? 100%, yeah. Okay. So do you like Hawkinson or Fant, the, the two, two oh, Iowa tight ends? I don't even think it's close. I, I, I don't like Fant. Okay, so, so Hawkinson. Hawkins, I love Hawkinson. Hawkinson, right for those of you that are wondering, is the white guy that wears number thirty-eight. Fants the Fants the the six-four 
um, black guy. He's a guy that ran a four five. Who can, can really field a can bit, really run? Not, yeah, he's not a pure route runner. He's not a blocker really to any extent. It's not that he can't, but he's technique poor in, in the run game. Hawkinson looks like Cooley. How to do anything? He's he can do everything. You just he's just got to improve a little bit in the run game as a pass catcher. Other than when he's he gets pressed or when he gets contacted downfield, which he is a magnet for. He's a he's a pretty good route runner. Like (laughs) is he a better magnet down the field? Like he can't he can't get off. You can work with that. Like he he can get he's fast. He can stretch the field. He finds some holes in zones. He's got really great. He's got really good hands. Um, but you don't have to teach him anything. Like, he's a starter tomorrow as a Y. I and he can play 90% of plays plus if you want him to. I swear to God, if they draft TJ Hawkinson, I'm going to be so angry that you're not coaching him. So <laughs> angry that you're not his coach. Oh, I'm you're s- such a dope. I'm s- no, I'm not. I'm not Why a dope about that. Why would you be angry that. about that? I'm not, a, I'm not a coach. Because you should be, and he, he's you. Every time I watch the TJ Hawkinson video reel, it's Chris Cooley. Is he a better prospect than you were? Yeah, right now he, he's definitely a better prospect than I was. He's, he's at Iowa. He played in a big-time conference. He got big-time film. He, he, I didn't have big-time film. Dude, I balled against Louisiana Monroe, though. <laughs> <laughs> you had a pretty good game against Nebraska. And he ran like a 4-6-something or whatever. I ran... Four eight of the combine. So you did. You ran four eight. Jesus. Mm. I ran four six seven at my pro day though. Mm. So whatever that's worth. Um, but I do like Hawkinson. I I like um, I like him a lot. You need a receiver. I, I watched a bunch of DK Metcalf. I I I would be so angry if they took DK Metcalf. At Good. 15. Oh my There's god. There's no chance I, they're going to do I it. There's totally, no chance. I'm totally in agreement with you. Uh, he uh, is. He is. N- I have a comp for him, but I'm not going to say it. Uh, you, you know who it is. You, he's just a faster version of this player. He has no route tree. <laughs> he looks like a baby deer half the time. Can't find his feet. Can't find his legs. Now he's not like he doesn't have quick feet at, uh, every once in a while. And apparently he looked like To at his pro day. But I watched him. If you you put him on tape, he ain't, he ain't the dude. The I dude do- out of that team is A.J. Brown, who is a dude. I'd love drafting A.J. Brown in the second. He were, he will wear number one at Old Miss. Yeah, I know the who you're, I know you're talking about. The player at receiver on that team last year was not D.K. Metcalf. I, D.K. Metcalf is a first down, deep threat. That's it. One trick pony right now. The dude is A.J. Brown. I think I had this conversation with J.P. Um, maybe two weeks ago and I said, I don't like Metcalf. I like Marquise Brown. I like Paris Campbell. Campbell to me looks like Deshaun Jackson. He looks like a Deshaun Jackson type. And the thing about Metcalf on when you watch him, he he's a chest catcher, not a hands catcher. Well, he makes these circus catches down the field, which is crazy, but you see all these catches coming back to the ball where he's got drops. He Here's the thing with Metcalf. He gets one step and you're not running him down. He is insanely fast. Sure. And it transcends into the field when he's going vertical. But he does not get off press well. He does not have a plan. He does not have an adequate route tree. And what scares me the most about DK Metcalf, honestly, they don't throw him the ball in critical situations. They don't throw him the ball in third down situations. They don't move him around the field. He played only outside and wide. Now he played on both sides, but he's an outside go get it kind of guy. I can't, you can't win with that in the league. You have to be able to create matchups and he's not going to be a matchup guy. Do you like the, 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 the two little guys that I mentioned, Brown and yeah, Campbell? I like both the little guys that you mentioned. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if I love them at 15. 
But no, 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 not not at fifteen. I, I right now, I think both McShay and Kuiper mocked Paris Campbell to the Redskins in the second round. He, I, yeah, mean, I like Paris Campbell, but if AJ Brown's there from Ole Miss, he'll if he were there in the second, they had it, and I, I bet you he'd be, he'd be their pick. Um, I gotta, you know what I gotta do? I haven't done it yet, and maybe we'll do it right before the draft. I haven't given you my running backs for 2019. Oh boy, I can just well, t- that's. Not one. That's one thing we're really not interested in right now. I know that, but but I, but I still want to tell you that right now the one guy I loved from the beginning of this year is Devin Singletary from Florida Atlantic, and I I, I don't know you where have told me that I don't know where he's mocked. I I think in like the second to third round range, but mm-hmm. um I love him. Uh, all right, what else did I have? And by the way, what that told best player available. If they had a running back that was best available at fifteen, like by far best available, there's no chance they'd draft him. That would de- that would debunk that theory. <laughs> well, I think I think you know what Charlie Casserly is and Bethard told, have told us over the years. You get in big trouble if you draft for need, and there's obviously there's obviously context. We've talked about this a hundred times. I get in, I get into this argument with Tommy, but you you understand the context, and that is if you've got a running back as the highest rated player on your board, and let's just say on a, on a scale of one to a hundred, he's rated as a ninety three, but you've got a corner as the number ninety one guy, you're going to take the corner. Of course. But what you're not going to do is if the running back's 93 on your board and your next highest rated player is a 79, you're going to take the running back or you're going to try desperately to trade out of that out of that spot. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Okay. It, and it, goes, it changes per round. Like in the first round, you can reach two spots. In the second round, you can probably reach four spots. In the third, you can probably reach eight spots. So on and so forth. You can reach a few spots. Yeah, a few to, spots, to, and and it's not necessarily per need. But not you're not taking a it, B it, it plus player over an A plus player. player. You're not, you need to place the player. You're not taking a B plus player over an A plus player for need. You're just not. No, but if you're a 15, there's no way there's not a, there's an A plus player at 15, and there's not anything less in than the an A A minus range. Yeah, okay, fair. No, I agree. I, I don't. And I, if there I don't is, disagree and you with had that. three running backs on your mm-hmm. roster, then you tr- trade the pick. I would be very surprised if most NFL boards right now don't have a non-quarterback as the 15th best player in the draft after Murray. Like, I can't imagine that Locke or Jones or Haskins or any of them, that there aren't 14 players minimum much higher ranked than those players, which is why at 15 overall, I if the Redskins end up taking a quarterback – I mean, hope, hopefully they're right, but there's going to be there are going to be some defensive players available at 15, especially if some of these quarterbacks go higher than they should go. Yeah, the thing is, is with quarterback, it's worth so much. The position dictates that it's worth so, so much. So is pass rush. So you should take whatever rating you have on a quarterback and times it by 25 percent or 50 percent or add whatever value to the position. What's the up value of a pass rusher? That's the next highest up value. Yeah, no doubt. Especially that, when you, that would be the next highest up value for sure. Yeah, because and then, and then I mean, you, I want you, you to we, watch Montez Sweat from Mississippi. I did State. watch Montez Sweat, and I, I like Montez Sweat. He's a baller. 
There's, I watched him. I watch, you know who I like? I like Dalton Reisner. He plays. Uh, he played left tackle at K State last year. He played everywhere up and down the line. A lot of people have him as a guard. He only allowed one pressure to Montez Sweat. Do you like Sweat or Burns more from Florida State? Have you looked at Burns? Uh, I didn't watch Burns very much, so okay. I, I but I like I like Sweat a bunch. But <clears throat> I, I like Reisner. Reisner just won't fall to second. So I think one of the most. One of the most fun things to watch last college football season was Mississippi State's defense just as a whole. Yeah, they were awesome on defense. That, you know who I like is that safety that wore 38. Yeah, he's uh, awesome. Uh, I know who you're talking about. He's a bad mofo. They just hit. I mean, they they hit. But the Redskins don't need a safety. Well, they do need a safety. You're talking about Abram. You're talking about the kid Abram. Yeah, Jonathan Abram. Yeah. He, you can play him as, as a slot corner. You could? I think so. Yeah, I think you can play him down. He played down a lot as as a slot kind of guy. You know, Maryland had a really good safety, Darnell Savage, who I think is is getting a lot of run now as a potential second-round pick. Um, all right. All right, buddy. I got to go anyway. Yeah, wh- just t- tell everybody right now what you have on your podcast coming up and what you did this week so they can, they can come listen. I did a DK Metcalf breakdown. I uh, – did an AJ Brown breakdown a little bit. We talk. We're, we're going to do third downs. I've, I've been doing all the first down, second down analysis. We're going to do third <laughs> downs, and then there's a really cool Trey Quinn video. He sat and watched a bunch of film with me. You should go and check out the video you, on uh, Redskins.com. It's it, fun. It's really good. The stuff that Cooley did with Trey Quinn. Quinn's a good guy. Hopefully, yeah, a really good player too. He's going to be a good player, I think. All right. Uh, I'll talk all to right. you later. See you, buddy. All right. Thanks. All right, that was Cooley, um, and he'll join us at least once a week um, leading up to the draft. Uh, and listen to his podcast. It's everywhere you can get a podcast, and he's been doing film breakdowns. Uh, Corvin, who is my son, who is sitting in and producing for Aaron today, has told me over and over again that he wants DK Metcalf to be the Redskins pick at 15. And I, what have I told you? I've told you that I'm not a Metcalf fan, right? Yep. You can speak. I can, yep. <laughs> I, I do not like Metcalf, and I did not know what Cooley's film breakdown was, but it sounds like he doesn't like Metcalf either. Metcalf was a true indie combine, you know, sensation. He just doesn't look like a football player when you watch him. There are receivers that just look much more natural as receivers. And Paris Campbell, if he is available um, to the Redskins in, say, the second round, he, to me, looks like Deshaun Jackson. Uh, he is a true game-breaker. Quick word on Scentbird. Uh, Scentbird's a luxury fragrance subscription service. It's a way to discover new colognes for you guys or perfumes for your girlfriends or wives without having to buy an entire bottle. Right now, good colognes, good perfumes are very expensive. And once you've bought them, you're stuck even if you don't like it. So Scentbird gives you an opportunity to try a perfume or a cologne for 30 days. It makes it easy for you. They've got 450 designer brands for you to choose from each month. Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and more. What happens is you choose the cologne you want to try, and they send you a 30-day supply. So you try it for 30 days. If you don't like it, you don't. You didn't buy it. You can try a new one for the next 30 days. Not sure what type of scent you're looking for? 
Uh, well, Scentbird helps out with that. They've got user ratings. They've got reviews on all perfumes, all uh, colognes. And they've got a quiz you can take to discover a more personalized recommendation. Here's the offer right now for my listeners only. Get 50% off your first month today. That's only $7.50 for your first cologne or perfume. Go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. Use my code KSDC and you'll get 50% off your first month. Again, that's Scentbird, S-C-E-N-T bird.com slash K is in Kevin, S is in Steve, D is in Douglas, C is in Charlie to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. All right, uh, we're going to talk some Final Four here, and then we're going to bring Andy on um, to finish up uh, the show. Um, Final Four is tomorrow, both games. Uh, I've got a smell test here coming up as well in a moment. Uh, I What I said on Monday is what I believe today. There's no result tomorrow, no result on Monday night that would surprise me. I know that that is not you know going out on a, on a limb with a big prediction, but I really feel after watching this tournament and watching these four teams play that all four of them are capable of winning two games, even with the matchups they have. The matchup that I think will be most difficult is Auburn beating Virginia, but I think it can happen. I, I just think that Virginia is a team that can slow down fast teams. Most coaches will tell you that it's easier to slow down a fast team than it is to speed up a slow team. Auburn wants to run. They scored 97 against North Carolina, a team that wanted to run with them, and they blew them out with great great shooting and great guard play with Brown and Harper. They beat Kentucky in overtime with phenomenal guard play with Brown and Harper. Brown and Harper combined in that game for 50 of the team's 77 points. But it is easier for Virginia to slow Auburn down, and it will be difficult for Auburn to speed up Virginia. You've watched Virginia. Most of you have during the course of the year. You can't speed them up. You can press them. It doesn't speed them up. They can handle the pressure. You try to speed them up with pressure defense, with trapping defenses. It just doesn't work. Virginia's going to play their game. They're going to keep this game in the 60s at best, And I do think of the two games, even though Michigan State's probably the team I'm rooting for the most, I think that the if I were to say that there out of the two games tomorrow, I feel most confident about one of the two games, it would be Virginia. But again, Auburn's totally capable of winning that game and then winning on Monday night. But I do think that Virginia, because again, the ability to slow Auburn down a little bit, I think Virginia has the best chance of advancing of the four teams tomorrow. The se- the second game, the nightcap, Michigan State Texas Tech, is you know right now the the four coaches that are left in this final four are incredible. I was talking to Gary Williams the other day uh, off the air, not on the podcast. And I said, man, the coaching in this tournament's been exceptional. Like the the better coach teams have all advanced. And he said, you're a hundred percent right. And all four of them. And he talked about Bruce Pearl, who he's known for a long time. And he goes, Bruce can coach. I mean, he's had Bruce has had some issues. 
you know, he's had some various issues at Tennessee and, and other places. Um, but Gary was like, he can coach. There's no doubt he can coach. And I think everybody knows that Tony Bennett and Tom Izzo are first-rate coaches. And Chris Beard's proving it at Texas Tech. A, a school that had not won a tournament game since 2005 now has advanced to the Elite Eight and the Final Four in back-to-back years. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when this tournament is over with Chris Beard and whether or not he moves on somewhere. Uh, but he's a great coach. Texas Tech has a great team and very good underrated players. Jarrett Culver's not underrated. He is a lottery pick by almost any uh, you know any mock draft you look at, any uh, college, you know NBA projecting the, the draft in 20, uh, 2019. Jarrett Culver is is a top half of the first round guy, but Moretti is a really good point guard. Mooney can really handle the ball and shoot it as well. Tark Owens, who transferred from St. John's as a as a fifth year grad transfer. Basically narrowed it down last spring to Maryland and Texas Tech. And Texas Tech he went to. And he went to Texas Tech because he thought he could get to the Final Four with Texas Tech. Um, And here they are. And he is a shot blocker supreme. And he will have a couple of rim-rattling dunks that will be as good as any you'll see in the tournament. But there is Michigan State that they've got to go up against. Um, Not what I would call Izzo's best team. It's not Izzo's best team. He may win a national championship with this team. It is a smart team, though, with a very good, high IQ, tough competitive point guard in Cassius Winston. And I I, I don't think this is the, the most rugged or the most physical or the team that bullies teams around like some, some Izzo teams in the past, but it is still you know, rugged enough. And we saw that against Duke. Um, and I think we will see two very tough defensive teams. Um, Michigan State wants to run. Michigan State wants to take it off the glass and run. Uh, Texas Tech doesn't mind a faster-paced game. Um, they're not Virginia necessarily, but they are very good defensively. This is a team that beat Michigan you know, to a pulp. Michigan had six points with nine and a half minutes to go in the first half of that Sweet 16 game, and then they took Gonzaga out as well. I thought Gonzaga was as talented as any team in the draw, and they beat them. The thing about Texas Tech, when you, you know, if you're really looking at them for the first time, because a lot of people don't watch them during the regular season, even though they were a consistent top 10 team for most of the year, they crushed people during the course of the season. They have crushed people in this tournament. They beat Michigan 63-44. to They beat a very good MAC team, a MAC champion in Buffalo, by 20. Um, this is a team that during the regular season beat Kansas by 30, beat West Virginia by 31. West Virginia, West Virginia wasn't that great, but they crushed some decent teams uh, during the course of the year. Texas, who was playing pretty well at times, they beat Texas by 20 uh, at late, late in the season. Very good basketball team. They went on the road, actually it was a neutral four game, and beat a good, tough Nebraska team by 20. Um, they lost to Duke this year in a tough game uh, You know, uh, in late December. Madison Square Garden, I think the game was. Um, a competitive game, but Texas Tech's the real deal. I have no idea which way that one goes, but uh, I do have a smell test pick um, and two of them 
coming up here. Uh, so overall, the takeaway is I would say that Virginia, out of the two games tomorrow, has the best chance of advancing, uh, but no no result tomorrow or Monday night is going to surprise me, and it shouldn't surprise you. All four teams are capable of winning two games and winning the national championship. And if you want to say that, you know, sometimes you get to the Final Four after so many years like Virginia did, Auburn and Texas Tech new to the Final Four, that you're just happy to be there, well, then you would look at Michigan State and you would say, this is a team that's always in the hunt, has been to plenty of Final Fours, and has not won a national championship since 2000. That was the lone national championship for Tom Izzo, been to a lot of Final Fours, the lone national championship for them, and the last Big Ten team, the last Big Ten team to win a national championship was Michigan State in 2000. Now the last team that is in that plays in the Big 10 that won a national championship was Maryland. They just won it when they were in the ACC in 2002. Uh, all right, let's get to the smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, the smell, smell test. test. All right, I think uh, I think my record for the tournament is 13 and 9 now against the spread. I was 1 and 4 that first day, had the 4 and 0 uh, Saturday. Um, last weekend, I, I think it's 13 and 9 overall for the tournament. I think that's right. That might be wrong. Might be 12 and 8. I think it's 12 and 8. Uh, sorry, but whatever. It's winning. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm up for the tournament on the smell test, either three or four units uh, at this point. And I, and I, Actually, you know, right now, the smell test criteria of sort of anti-public plays applies to both games uh, tomorrow. Uh, Virginia is laying five and a half. The public is on Auburn. I think the, the recent impressions, and I've given out Auburn both of their last games against North Carolina and then against Kentucky, um, both as five and a half point favorites, or five and a half and then four and a half against Kentucky. They're a five and a half point underdog against UVA. I like UVA laying the five five and a half. Uh, it is the the anti public side. I also do believe, as I said before, that this is the one game where I could see Virginia frustrating Auburn, slowing them down like no one else has, and winning you know a sixty seven fifty five kind of a game. Uh, in the first semifinal. So take Virginia, lay the five and a half. And then in the nightcap, Texas Tech is the right side. The public is playing Michigan State after they beat Duke over the weekend. Um, I don't know that people believe in Texas Tech at this point, and I don't know why. I think they're an excellent team and a very well-coached team. And Maybe the occasion of being in the Final Four ends up being too much for them. I guess that's possible. They just don't seem like the team that's going to get rattled, though. Um, I am personally going to root for Michigan State to win the game, but just by not more than two and a half. Right now, that number is two and a half. Um, you know, you should buy it to three and take Texas Tech plus uh, the three in that game. But for the purposes of this. Smell test, we go with the lines on Friday, um, and the line is two and a half. Take Texas Tech plus the two and a half. So the two smell test picks are Virginia minus five and a half and Texas Tech plus the two and a half. Um, I, in my bracket, I had Virginia beating Michigan State in the final, and I think head to head with Aaron and Tom, I am now in the clear uh, of winning uh, the 
the brackets, which I did not think would happen at the beginning. I usually lose the bracket stuff, but uh, excel more in the point spread stuff on a game by game basis. So um, Texas Tech plus the two and a half, Virginia laying the five and a half. I can't wait to watch both of these games. I know Duke's not in it, and Carolina's not in it, and Kentucky's not in it, and Kansas isn't in it. And the ratings aren't great for this Final Four. I think these are two really good matchups. Real quick word about launch workplaces in Bethesda. If you are looking for a new place to call home for your business, doesn't even have to be a full-time home because they've got co-working desks that you can use one or two days a week if you want. But Launch Workplaces provides flexible and affordable private office solutions so you can get work done. It's a beautiful new space in Bethesda right there in the Mass Ave corridor. Fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, and 24-7 access. Get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial by mentioning my name. The phone number is 240-800-6714. That's 240-800-6714 or visit launchworkplaces.com today. Uh, Mention my name. They also have locations throughout the area and you can find all of those at launchworkplaces.com. All right, let's bring in Andy uh, Poland, who we haven't talked to in a couple of weeks. Um, perfect time to talk to you. We'll talk some Final Four here in a moment. But what a week, you know, it was with the return of Bryce Harper uh, to uh, Nats Park um, and then the firing of Ernie Grunfeld. Tommy was on with me yesterday. By the way, I haven't said this on the podcast today. Read Tommy's column in the Washington Times today. It's exceptional. I, you know, I've said this to him many times. I think you feel sort of the same way. Um, I don't think anybody in town uh, does what Tommy does better than what Tommy does. And that is no one attacks the way he does in print <laughs> with, with his, with his, you know, in print. He just does it so well. He does it in short form. And today's column was brilliant. But um, what did you yeah, make? What did yeah. you make of the week, starting with Bryce Harper? Well, it's nice that they they snuck it in as you know we were anticipating you know one of the biggest baseball moments we've ever had here with the return of Bryce Harper. Uh, not that it was is unexpected, but yeah, I mean Tom nailed it, and this has been going on for a long time with uh, with Ted Leonsis enabling Ernie to undercut the various coaches that he's had. And, you know, people have wondered, what was the deal there? I had a theory. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm sticking to it. I, I believe it's because Ted played pickup basketball in New York with Bernard King. And <laughs> ah, come Bernard, on. No, I mean, how else do you explain this? I mean, this isn't, this isn't like the George McPhee situation where the Caps were producing really good teams year after year and they built around a superstar, Alex Ovechkin, and it had worked out well. This was a situation which was a disaster for a long period of time. And how do you explain Ernie Grunfeld staying for eight years under Ted Leonsis when he seemingly was teetering on the brink when Leonsis bought the team? I, You know what? I don't want to get into it because I got into it with Tommy the other day, and I am totally in favor of of the of, of Ernie being fired. And I've been I've felt that way for, for at least three years. But – you know, this wasn't a team over the last, you know, four or five years that was going 19 and 63 each year. 
You know, it was a team that had gone to the postseason four out of five years, and the two years that they weren't going to be in the postseason this year and in 2015-16 were injury-riddled seasons. And so I, I he he deserves to go. The bottom line is he had 16 years to produce something a lot better, and he didn't, period. Period, yeah. and end, yeah, end, end I mean, of discussion. So I, I'm, I'm totally in favor of it, but... Um, the the funny thing is, you know, when Tommy and I used to do that lunch with a legend thing, and we did Ted that one year, and oh god, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, at times he was insufferable during that interview. But you know, the one thing that I think I learned from him is that basketball is Ted's first love. You know, that's what he yeah. loves. I mean, he got involved in this thing to eventually own the Wizards. You know, the caps. No the caps were the entree to owning an NBA team because Ted loves basketball. Um, and yep. he's built a terrific hockey situation. And, you know, when you going to his arena for any sporting event, any concert, it's a first-rate experience. I mean, I think he does that really well. But the basketball team just hasn't been good enough. And he could have fired Ernie three or four years ago. The problem with firing yep. him like four years ago was you were at the beginning of this John Wall-Bradley Beal run. You know, but... He missed uh, much more often than he hit. Yeah. I mean, look, they, they had a rebuild. Ernie was able to, after the first Gilbert Arenas rebuild flamed out, he had the opportunity to rebuild again. And you had the number one pick overall in John Wall, the number three pick overall in Bradley Beal, the number three pick overall in Otto Porter. That should be enough to get you into contention to contend for the at least the Eastern Conference Championship every year, and they and they weren't. Well, you were you it. were never going to win the Eastern Conference Championship with LeBron in the East. That was never going to happen. Not, but, but you could have competed to get, get to, to the, the Eastern Conference either. Finals. Well, and they yeah. they but they would have had John Wall not gotten hurt against Atlanta. I mean, you can say yeah, that yeah. too, because yeah. they would have. They were on their way to to being in the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron um, when when Wall got hurt. You know, in the in the Atlanta series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's all true. But I also think that Ted, maybe he's saying I'm, I've got a clean slate and whatever happened in the first go round with Ernie under Abe, you know, I'm putting that aside. I'm not going to be concerned with it. I'm only going to be concerned with how I deal with him. Right. But even still, and look, the other part of it is, and, and, and Tom is right. I mean, Ernie has has uh, gotten relationships with certain people in the media, and I'm sure he's developed a relationship with uh, with Ted, as we say in the trade. He's a Hamish guy. He's a very likable guy, yep. you know, and I, I can understand it. Yeah, he always was. Um, before we get to the Final Four, uh, you know, there's a lot of smoke now um, around Josh Rosen to the Redskins. Uh, what? Well, you know, Cooley and I were just talking about this. To me, the two biggest... Um, that Josh, take Kyler Murray off the table. Josh Rosen is a bigger is is a bigger jolt, a bigger boost marketing wise than any quarter other quarterback they could draft in the first round. Really, I do believe that. You think so? Yeah, I do. You really, I, I'm not sure. I do. I mean, I, we've already seen him play. I've seen him play against the. Uh, you know, well, I guess he didn't play against the Redskins in that game, but uh, I, I think you, having already seen him play in the NFL. 
there's not the intrigue that Kyler Murray could, in fact, be. No, the no, no. I'm, I'm taking Ky- I'm taking Kyler Murray off the table. Kyler, Kyler okay. Murray, of course, would be the biggest. You know, it'd yeah. be the biggest move since they traded up and, and drafted RG three. I'm I'm just saying, if you assume Kyler Murray goes number one, oh. that Josh Rosen put side by side with Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones. Josh Rosen is the bigger marketing hit. Yeah, well, I mean, Haskins would would certainly be. Haskins is close. Because people have yeah. seen him play. Most Redskin fans never saw Drew Locke or Daniel Jones play. They they yeah, they didn't hear true. about him until you know they started to focus on the draft. But they know who Josh yeah. Rosen was, and they knew Josh Rosen last year. Yeah, but no matter who comes in here, you know, unless unless you're going to bring in Tom Brady for the last couple of years of his career, that place is going to be a ghost town this yep. year. I, I don't think. I don't think there's really anything that can get the fan base excited other than if they rip off, you know, four out of their first, you know, five games get wins. Other than that, it's going to be just like last year. Nobody's going to these games. I I don't disagree with you on that. I think it's so far beyond just adding a big name or a big, uh, a new quarterback that it's going to have to come with a year's worth of winning or a, a super start, you know, a six and one start with the quarterback looking like he's going to be an all pro quarterback. It's going to have to take yeah. something like that. I agree with you. By the way, yeah. on, on Rosen, for the Jewish community in town, mm-hmm. w- yes, how big would that be? Like, how, I that mean, would be, that would be enormous. I mean, that that would. We've already even talked about it at our Jewish Sports Hall of Fame meeting. I can't tell you who's been inducted this, or who's going to be inducted this year, but yes, that's already gone. You know, and I wonder, <laughs> I wonder, in, in all seriousness, what kind of business impact you know trading for Josh Rosen would have? The Redskins have lost a lot of business, corporate ticketing, you know, uh, corporate ticket relationships, corporate sponsor relationships. I, I, I've, I've thought about that. I, I mean, just observationally, it would be, I think that there, I, I would guarantee you that Dan Snyder has thought about what Josh Rosen being the Redskins quarterback could mean. And you do realize that he's half Gentile, right? Yes. Yes. Do you, we're, you, we're, we're, he's what we, I am. We've taken We've drafted him. We, we're, 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 we took him in the third round, so we're we're good with him. Also, Wait. you know that Dan, you, Dan you, Snyder's Jewish. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. I, I would think that that Dan would have just this sense yeah. of what it could mean, you know, from yeah. a business standpoint to have him as the Although Redskins I, starting quarterback. I, I can't speak for the entire Jewish business community, but I do know <laughs> people who are in it and I know are very you do. successful. And hate Dan Snyder, right? So, of, co- of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I don't know how much that's that's going to help either. But uh, hey, look, in terms of of that, it probably can't hurt. You know, his upbringing is very interesting, and I I identify with it because you know I'm half, and so yeah. and 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 he 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 had a Jewish father, but a Christian mother. I think I think the mother right. was Catholic. Um, I could mm-hmm. be wrong about that, but but a, a Christian mother, and he went to Catholic schools. Yeah, you know he no, no. he, but, he went to like an all Josh Catholic Rosen. high school. Josh Rosen, I mean, how much more can you? Right. You know? <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't, I, and I don't know how much he would embrace it. And I also, that's another thing that that's critical of him is how much does he embrace football? Does he really love football? I think that's open for debate too. I don't know him at all, but that's that's some of the things I hear and read, as you do. 
Yeah, um, I read the uh, the Mora quote earlier in the show. Um, read it to Cooley too because I, I I remembered it last night that Mora had had said something critical about Rosen a year ago, and it was from an interview with Peter King. And um, I'm finding it right now. He, th- this was the quote. He needs to be challenged intellectually so he doesn't get bored. He's a millennial. He wants to know why. Millennials, once they know why, they're good. Josh has a lot of interests in life. If you can hold his concentration level and focus only on football for a few years, he'll set the world on fire. He has so much ability, and he's a really good kid. And that's been... The discussion about Rosen, how much does he love football? How much, you know, do his other interests in life, how much will they get in the way of him, you know, focusing on just football? He comes from affluence. Will that be an impact? He's had injuries, including concussions. And what happens if he has another serious concussion? Will he decide he doesn't need football? So all of that is relevant when you're evaluating him. Also, look look at this organization. Is this an organization where it's easy to concentrate on just football? There's always so much other stuff going on during a season that the laser focus that guys from other organizations seem to be able to get, probably they can't get here. Right. Yep. Uh, all right. You wanted to talk real quickly about the Final Four and an anniversary date of, of, of yeah, a championship we, we, game. We, we, we kind of missed it last week, but the, the, the game that Georgetown lost to Villanova is, is so incredible in, in so many ways. This was the last game before the shot clock. Now, they put in initially a 45-second shot clock, so even though they'd gone back and looked at the, the tape, there weren't that many possessions where Villanova held it for more than 45 seconds, but it, it was a factor. Right. And, uh, and they were able to hold the ball, They were able to uh, put together an incredible shooting performance. They shot 78% and frustrate what could have been maybe the greatest team of all time. I know they didn't have Michael Graham, who'd been a key player the year before when Georgetown won the national championship. But you look at that team that Georgetown had with Patrick Ewing as a senior and Reggie Williams, who was a freshman on that team and a great player and became the number three pick of the draft when he finally graduated in 87, that is, that's an unbelievable uh, assortment of talent and what Villanova was able to do. And, I mean, they had pro players. You know, Ed Pigney had a good NBA career. They had a couple of guys who played in the league. But that is, that is one of the all-time accomplishments, I think, in the history of basketball. And it was, it was a real changer in, in the way the tournament, you know, was looked at. And also, you got to remember, that was also the first year of the 64 teams in the tournament, it had been 48 prior to that, and or maybe 53 the year before. But uh, the fact that it was 64 was the only way Villanova got in, and they got in as an eighth seed, and uh, and won the national championship against a team they'd lost to three times during the regular season. It was one. It was such a memorable game, you know. During a stretch of great finals, you know, that started in '82 with Michael Jordan yep. shot to beat Georgetown, and then the NC State over Houston in '83. Then Georgetown, not in a buzzer beater, beat Houston uh, the following year in the NCAA championship. And then you had the Villanova Georgetown final. You know, one of the things that's interesting about that game, and I just pulled it up uh, as as you were talking. Um, uh, Villanova shot 78% from the floor. Georgetown shot 55% from the floor. You know, they, they, they played, uh, you know, a, a good game as well. The other interesting thing about that particular run for Villanova is that they had, 
you know, they they went in um, as a uh, as a eight. as an eight seed uh, going into yep. that into that tournament. They had lost early in the Big East tournament. Um, during the course of the year uh, against Georgetown, um, they had lost both games uh, against Georgetown. But that particular year, they played Maryland in the regular season at Cole Fieldhouse. Yep. And Maryland beat Villanova that year at Cole. And then they faced Maryland in the Sweet 16 that year uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. And beat Maryland 46-43. to in a game that turned out to be Len Bias's worst game of his career, he shot yeah, that's something. shot three for fifteen, if my memory serves me serves me correctly, from the floor. Had a brutally yeah. awful game for him, and he was brilliant in the game that they had beaten Villanova during the regular season. Um, and Maryland still only lost the game by three. Uh, it was yeah. the worst game of his career, and Villanova needed it to be the worst game of his career, or they would have never gotten out of the Sweet 16. Uh, and then they went on and they beat North Carolina in the Elite Eight, and then I think it was Memphis. Yeah. Was it Memphis in the semis? I think it was Memphis yeah, in Memphis the semis. Yeah, Memphis had to, uh, had to vacate that. A yeah, cu- couple of other things. Uh, also, with that 78%, I, I just came across this a, a little while ago, The Villanova had 17 turnovers in that game. Did they, re- did they really? Look at the. I don't know if Hold on, I, I pulled box. up the. I had the. I had the box score there a second. I didn't look for the turnovers. I looked for the. Turnovers. Well, seventeen turnovers. Wow. Yeah. And they won the game. Well, they only they only had twenty eight field goal attempts for the game. They made twenty two of twenty eight, but they got to the free throw line. They got to the free throw line. Yeah. And the other thing about that that Maryland regular season game. Uh, that was a game that was nationally televised yes, it was. by by NBC. Now this was after the split. You know, Packer Billy Packer had left and gone to CBS a few years earlier. So this was Dick Enberg and Al McGuire, and Mark Plansky has to come in and guard Len Bias. And Al McGuire says on TV, uh, "We'll have to send our apologies to the Plansky family <laughs> because Len Bias is a great player and he's about to abuse their son." Oh, and and. Bu- <laughs> and Bias had a dunk in that game over Ed Pickney that I've seen, you know, on YouTube in recent years that was unbelievable. He went off. They 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 beat him that day. You know what's funny about that day, Andy? And I swear to God, this happened. Maryland, in, they weren't the only team that did this, um, that you played sometimes back-to-back games on a weekend. That particular weekend, Maryland played Notre Dame on the Saturday – at home and beat Notre Dame and then played Villanova the next day and wow. beat them. Two non-conference games. Two non-conference games in January. I want to say it was January or late February, wow. and they played back-to-back days and beat both of those teams at Cole. And Maryland was a really good team that year. I mean, they, they had those back-to-back years where they lost to Illinois in the Sweet 16 and Villanova in the Sweet 16. And I felt like Maryland was better than both of those teams um, that they yeah. lost to. But uh, but Villanova went on after surviving Maryland and Len Bias's worst game of his career in, in the tournament to win the national championship. Uh, scheduling was so much better. I mean, think about that. You're, not, you're playing those two teams back-to-back. Notre Dame and Villanova, and then you got an ACC schedule, which has you play in North Carolina and Duke twice a year. I mean, that things were so much better scheduling wise. 
so much better. But you would never. I mean, it's been years since teams played back to back games on a weekend. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it, yeah, and, no until question. until you got to. I wonder if part of that was just preparing for the ACC tournament, and you know, because the well, ACC tournament, that, and, yeah. There's that, and and you got to realize, '84 ESPN is only five years old. So the big money games are weekend games yeah, televised by networks. So the networks were more interested in putting those games on Saturday and Sunday. So that's the way it worked. I, I, I guess the school gets a cut of that. Isn't that the way that works? Yeah. But I think it's so, thing. so listen to this because I just pulled up Maryland's schedule from, from 84, 85. Here it is. On Saturday, January 26th, they played Notre Dame. On Sunday, January 27th, they played Villanova. But listen to the week leading up to it. The Saturday before, they went to Nevada, Las Vegas and played UNLV. And then had a home game on Monday night against Holy Cross. So they played four games in mid to late January that were non-conference games. Now, back then, the ACC wasn't... You know, you you had Georgia Tech in the league, so it was an eight-team league. Florida State was not yet in the league, so it was an eight-team league, so you only played 14 conference games, so you had to have non-conference games. They they also had Old Dominion and Towson on the schedule, you know, in February, so... Uh, they had, but but th- what a week, you know, UNLV, Holy Cross, Notre Dame, and Villanova. Yeah, and look, and uh, Lefty used to get killed for a lot of things, but oh, he's at scheduled. that same time, John Thompson's playing St. Leo, and, you know, Lefty's <laughs> yeah. scheduling Notre Dame and Villanova back-to-back. That's well, listen to this. That year started, Maryland played Kansas. They had Tennessee, West Virginia, Alabama, Ohio State all on the schedule before the end of December. And then once wow. the season started, in season, in addition to the ACC teams, they played Dayton, who was good back then, um, yep. UNLV, Notre Dame, Villanova, non-conference. Yeah. Yeah. No, le- lefty, lefty, you know, he, and he liked to play the big boys, too. Yeah, Remember, he, he, he had he scheduled UCLA at the beginning of one season. He he, he was like that. That's, that's, that's incredible when you look back. Yeah, uh, the back-to-back thing is, is crazy. Um, all right, uh, yeah that that was that was a phenomenal game and one of the great upsets in the history of yeah. of sports. Really, I mean, no, yeah, one... I, I was there. I, I was there for UPI. I remember reading Rudy Martsky's column in USA Today that day, and he'd interviewed Brent Musburger and Billy Packer, and they both said, "Yeah, we've got a lot of material planned to keep viewers interested <laughs> when the expected blowout happens, and it never happened." You know what's interesting about that over the years when when Big John would talk about that game? He said one of the things they knew going in playing Villanova versus playing Memphis is that Villanova wasn't going to be afraid. You know, they they were familiar with Georgetown. They played them twice during the regular season, did not play them that year in the Big East tournament, but played them, you know, in two relatively tough, difficult games during the regular season. And he knew. You know, he would have much rather played Memphis State. It was, the, and I think that was the Keith Lee Memphis State team, um, yeah. and would have much rather played a team that would have been more intimidated by Georgetown because Georgetown was an intimidating team uh, in in the eighties with the full court pressure yeah. and and Ewing and the whole thing. Yeah, and also if if Memphis had won that game, they would have had to vacate because that's what they did. That right. their Final Four appearance was vacated because they cheated their yeah. butts off. Yeah, they, they did. That was. Uh, mm. That, that we, I, th- I think Gary beat Memphis. Did Gary lose to Memphis at BC or, or beat Memphis? I think he beat Memphis and then lost to Virginia in the in the Elite Eight. 
uh, with mm-hmm. one of his BC teams um, in 83, that might have been. Might have been 84, too, I, f- I forget. All right, yeah. uh, thanks. Good to talk to you. All right, enjoy the games this weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, that's Andy. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, appreciate Cooley coming on. Enjoy the podcast over the weekend. We'll be back Monday talking about the two Final Four games. Potentially, who knows, talking about a Josh Rosen trade. Uh, I will tell you that if there is a Josh Rosen trade, like over the weekend or a big move, we will come in and do a podcast immediately if something like that happens. Um, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and review it. It really helps us if you do that. Uh, It doesn't cost you anything to subscribe. Um, But any uh, platform that you listen to, I think pretty much most of them you can subscribe. It'll get delivered to your phone without you having to go out and reach out for it. And reviewing it really helps us as well to review it and rate it uh, if your uh, podcast platform allows for that. Uh, That really helps us on the uh, advertising front uh, as well. Thanks to Corbin. He did a great job today uh, with the podcast. Thanks to Cooley and to Andy. I'll be back on Monday.